Amen. Thank you, Noah. Thank you, praise team. Thank you for that worship that we just experienced. Um, is Daniel Weinmiller? Dan, Daniel, are you in here? Come on up here a sec. Daniel Weinmiller is leaving Monday for uh, Romania tomorrow, and he's going to be, is it till June? Are you there till June? Uh, be back in May for our graduation. Okay, be back in May for graduation, but uh, he has a passion, as you know, to go to Romania, and he's been there now several times. He's going to be going back for a long period of time, and uh, finding employment there, plus uh, support uh, from churches or individuals, and so we just want to pray over him and ask God's hand on him as he goes. And uh, let's lift you up before the Lord. Father God, I just want to pray for Daniel right now. I want to ask your hand over him. He has a passion for his own people, where he came from so many years ago when his mom and dad went to get him and adopted him. Saw him in that orphanage. Brought him back to the States and raised him up and came to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. And like the Apostle Paul, as Paul said in Romans 9, I'm not lying, I'm telling you the truth, that I could go back and be accursed for my people, the Jews. And Paul had such a passion to see them come to Christ that he'd even be willing to go to hell for them. And Daniel has that stirring and passion within him right now to go back and win his people to Christ. So I pray for him as he travels now. I pray for the safety. I pray for his time gone here and Lord, I pray you'd use him to that end. And may many souls be saved. May the gospel go forward through his influence, his input, develop and deepen this passion within him. We commit him to you now, Father. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Okay, ready? All right. Yeah, he's worked a lot with our deaf people, so they're all proud of him too. We appreciate you, Daniel. Take your Bibles, if you will, to Mark chapter 13 today. Mark chapter 13. I've entitled the message, A Time to Shine. Time to Shine. All right, let's stand together. We'll read God's Word. Mark chapter 13. I'm going to read verses 1 to 13. 1 to 13. As he was going out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, behold, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left upon another which will not be torn down. <clears throat> and as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew were questioning him privately, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are going to be fulfilled? And Jesus began to say to them, See to it that no man mislead you. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and will mislead many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be frightened. Those things must take place, but that is not the end yet, yet the end. For nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you to the courts, and you will be flogged in the synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them. The gospel must first be preached to all nations. When they arrest you and hand you over, do not worry beforehand about what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but it is the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death and father his child, and children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. 
you will be hated by all because of my name. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. You may be seated. This is what is called the Olivet Discourse. Jesus predicts the future and what will happen. And uh, it, this chapter in the book of Mark is the most disputed area of study in Mark's gospel. It is the eschatos, that's the word for eschatology, last things, the study of last things. And so it's very difficult because there's lots of views on this chapter, and so it's very disputed. Now, having said that, there are basically four views on this passage. I can't preach them all. I'm not going to preach them all. I don't believe them all. So I just want to give you the four and then just share with you where I stand on these. There's first the preterist view. The preterist view says all these events are in the past and that anything cataclysmic or anything that is being predicted in Mark 13 happened at the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. It comes from a Greek word, preterist in the past. So these events will never happen in the future. They're all in the past. Okay, I don't hold that view, but that is a view that some hold today, the preterist view. The second view is called the pre-tribulational rapture view. I'm a pre-tribulationist. I'm a rapture position. I believe that the next event on the timetable is the rapture, a rapio, the Greek word, in 1 Corinthians 15 and also in 1 Thessalonians 4. Then in a moment, in the twinkling of eye, we shall be transformed, changed, and so that will be a rapture event. That's the next thing on the eschatological timetable. Then there'll be seven years of tribulation upon the earth. We will be taken out in the tribulation period. And we will be with Christ during the marriage supper of the Lamb for a seven-year feast. And then there'll be uh, tribulation on the earth as never has been seen. I think these are some of the events being described in Mark chapter 13. Then Jesus Christ will return uh, to this earth and set up a millennial kingdom. That's a pre-tribulational view. Then there's the mid-trib view. They would say that no uh, Christians have to go through half of the tribulation. And then there is the great tribulation after that, the last three and a half years. And the Christians are going to be taken out at the mid-trib before the uh, last half of the trib during the great tribulation, which will be twice as bad as the first half of the trib. That's a mid-trib position. Then there is the fourth view, which is the post-trib. The post-trib is... They really technically don't believe in a rapture at all. What they believe is that when Christ returns at the second coming, uh, he comes in the clouds, and the Christians are not the Christians are taken up to meet the Lord in the air. That's what they would call the rapture. And when they meet the Lord in the air, then they go right down with Jesus Christ into the battle of Armageddon, and then he sets up his millennial kingdom. And so that's a post-trib position. Okay, those are the four views. Got them? All right. You'll probably never remember some of those, but I just wanted you to at least hear them because I'm not going to try to define or defend any of those. I think that one thing I've learned is to hold these views with humility. I'm a pre-tribulationist. I hold it with humility. Uh, I may not be 100% correct. Um, I believe I... I'm 99% correct, okay, because I don't really know the future as best I can understand the Scripture. So I give people the freedom to hold other views. I'm not going to divide over your view of eschatology. I think that's very important to say is hold your view with some level of humility. And I've had many uh, discussions with people over these things. Now, the way to remember all this is when you go to Don Juan's and you eat at a Mexican restaurant and you get chips, okay? Just, you'll never forget this. This is the way you'll remember this, okay? The question you have to ask yourself when you sit down and they bring the chips to the table is, are you an only chipper? 
Are you a pre-chipper? Are you a mid-chipper? Or are you a post-chipper? Okay, what does that mean? If you're an only chipper, that means you sit down and you eat the chips and the meal and you don't pray at all. You're an only chipper. Okay? But you may be a pre-chipper. You believe the chips are the snack before the meal, so you only pray for the meal. So you first are a pre-chipper, chipper, all right? You, you have your chips, then you pray. Now, I know some of you are pre-chippers, because I've watched you, all right? You're pre-chippers, okay? I'm going to get this right, all right? But some are mid-chippers, all right? They believe you ought to pray and then eat your meal. So they think, or then eat your chips and then eat your meal. So it's a mid-chipper position. Then the post-chippers are ones that don't even pray until they eat the meal and the chips, and then at the end they thank God for the whole meal they just ate, all right? So what are you, okay? An only chipper, a pre-chipper, a mid-chipper, or a post-chipper? Because whatever you do with your chips, that's who you really are. Okay, you'll never forget that. Now, I know you'll be able to repeat that to me some point in the future. All right, so let's jump into this. This is a difficult, difficult passage. And I got this uh, really bad feeling I may offend everyone in this room before this sermon is over. But I want to be as honest as I can with the text. There's probably some things I'm going to say to you I've never said before in relationship to eschatology. I've never done a thorough study on eschatology on a Sunday morning. Matter of fact, in a, in a short time, we're going to begin a study again on Revelation on a Wednesday night, and we'll be doing that down the road here uh, soon. But uh, I don't usually do it on Sunday morning because you can get caught up in this stuff and miss the whole point of the scriptures. So today, my passion really is to not really try to explain all these last time events, but to really caution you about not missing what the scriptures are really saying. And somehow it gets completely missed. I, I don't know how, but I've done it myself, okay? So I'm not blaming you or saying you're the bad one. I'm saying I've done this myself, and I've gotten caught up in these things. I still like to read about them. I still like to hear them. But, but ultimately, I want to do it on this theme. How does Jesus respond to us when we ask questions about the near and distant future? This is exactly what the disciples are doing, so the Spirit of God is going to try to speak to you. How does Jesus respond to you when you come to him with these near and distant future events, and you want to know, that's so important to start it that way. Okay, here's the three things that he wants you to know, okay? First thing is this. Don't let anyone mislead you. Don't let anyone mislead you. That, that's a really important one because today you're getting hit up by all kinds of podcasts, all kinds of YouTubes, all kinds of... TikToks, which is probably the worst, but you're seeing all these pools toward these end-time events. Don't let anyone mislead you. Okay, I wish I could say a whole lot more about this, but let me say this. Jesus has just left the temple with his disciples for the final time. He will never go back in the temple. It's been cursed by him, and he is sick of the religious leaders, their hypocrisy, and there's judgment to come. And so as they're leaving the temple... They go out the eastern gate, which is sealed up today. They go out the eastern gate, and they head up to the Mount of Olives. So when they're leaving Jerusalem, this is what they would see. They would see the temple. And it's a beautiful, it would be one of the wonders of the world today, honestly, if it was not destroyed. And so they see this beautiful temple. They walk down through the Valley of Jezreel. They go up to the Mount of Olives. When they get to the Mount of Olives, then this would be the view. Next picture. And so here... Uh, you have the temple of Jerusalem 
And then to the right, you've got the Mount of Olives, that mountain, that little mountainside. It's a little lower than that. You can't see it's kind of shaded there, but that's where the Mount of Olives is. That's where they sat. And when they walked up that hill and they looked back, they were so impressed. And it was impressive because they talked about the beautiful stones. That's what they emphasize in this text. What's amazing about the beautiful stones is these are some of the world's largest cut stones in the world. Okay, let me show you the largest cut stone in the world. They're called monoliths. These are stones that are quarried and then cut. This is a monolith. So this is the world's largest. It's about 72 feet long, so it's longer than a semi-truck and tractor trailer. Okay, it's longer than that. That's the world's largest quarried cut stone. All right, their stones are about five feet less than this. Now, that's an incredible feat in itself. That's why they're so impressed. How did they get those huge stones? This stone weighs about mm, 2,800 tons, which, I don't know, that doesn't even make sense to you, but you just know it's heavy, okay? All right, 2,800 tons of weight, and how did they move these things? This one was found in Liberia, not Liberia, Lebanon. It was found in Lebanon, and uh, it's a massive, incredible feat. And so they get to the top of the Mount of Olives. They turn around, they look, and they say, look at this one. Now, verse uh, 1, as they're going there, say, Teacher, behold, look at the beauty of that. Look at the stones. Look at the gold. Look at everything. This, it's a wonderful building, isn't it, Jesus? They are so impressed by this building because it's one of the wonders of the world, as, as I've uh, intimated here. And they're telling Jesus, do you see it? Do you see it, Jesus? Aren't we incredible people? And Jesus says, he, says, he uses the same word, sees the key word through the text. Do you see these great buildings? You just told me to look. Yes, they're impressive. But do you see? I want you to see underneath the beautiful buildings. I want you to see something deeper than what you're seeing on the surface because you're missing the whole point if you don't get this, okay? And so Jesus is saying, you need to see and understand something deeper. See, deeper. Do you see that great temple? It will all be destroyed. There will not be one stone left upon another, and I've taught you before about that, but it will be completely rended and raised to the ground. And by the way, it happened exactly and precisely like he said, which right there tells you the fulfillment of prophecy that he is in fact God. It happened exactly and precisely as Jesus had said. Well, that piqued their interest because their interest all along has been when's this whole thing going to be set up? So they ask him two questions, two questions. They say to him um, in verse 4, tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign when all these things are going to be fulfilled? This is the two things burning on their hearts, which are burning on a lot of people's hearts today. When's it all going to happen? And that's why the TikToks and the YouTubes and all those things get very attractive to some Christians because when's it all going to happen and how, what's it going to look like? And so they're, they're asking questions that we ask. The first question is, when will the temple be destroyed? Okay. And then number two, when will you set up your kingdom? When are all these things going to be fulfilled? The word fulfilled, there's a great word because it means when are all these things going to end? In other words, we're most concerned about you setting up your kingdom. So we want to know everything. We don't want to just know about the destruction of the temple. We want to know when are you going to set up your kingdom? And in essence, the second coming of Christ and the beginning of his kingdom. They thought all the messianic prophecies happened at once. 
the first coming, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the second coming, all these things they saw is kind of compressed into a very short period of time. That's why they kept asking this question, when's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? Just like you, when's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? And Jesus, as a matter of fact, even in Acts chapter 1, after he resurrected and was at his ascension, remember the very first question they had is, are you going to set it up now? See, that's what they were focused on. They wanted the setup of the kingdom. They wanted all the pain to be gone, all the problems to be gone, and we want to rule and reign with you, Jesus. And that, the reason they're like that, and the reason you're like that, and the reason you wrestle with stuff like this is the same reason they did. One, they could never figure out how could suffering work together with ruling and reigning. If God really loved me, why do I feel like I'm dying? Why do I feel like something's going on inside of me? Why are these things going on in my life? How does ruling and reigning connect to suffering? See, it's just not an easy answer. The second thing they were struggling with is they think the kingdom will happen all at once. The first coming, the crucifixion, the resurrection, the destruction of the temple, and the second coming. They think that's all going to be in a short period of time and it's over. And then God sets up his kingdom. And so they just see this small compressed period of time. So Jesus is answering about three things in this passage. I'm convinced of this in my studies. Number one, the destruction of the temple. That's easy to see. Number two, future events still to come. And number three, the second coming of Jesus Christ. Then rather than jumping into answering all these questions, he gives them guidelines to think through it before he tells them anything about it because he's not really going to tell them about it till verse 14 which we're not going to cover verse 14 onward today. We're just going to look at verses 1 to 13, but he's more concerned by something else. The first thing he's concerned by is don't be misled. You be very careful when you get caught up in all these YouTubes and TikToks and 30-minute prophetic warning, prophetic warning, prophetic warning. You're going to get caught up in that stuff and you're going to get misled. And you're going to end up misusing your time that you have in this life. So he's giving us a warning. Jesus is not giving us a way to predict his coming based on world events. This is so important you see that. Beyond verse 14, yes, those are signs. But those signs in verse 14 onward are signs during the tribulation period. I don't have time to go into that deeper, but they are signs during the seven-year period because the Jews look for a sign. We're not in a sign period. We're in the church age. We don't look for a sign. There's not one sign that has to happen for the rapture to occur. Not one thing. There's not one more fulfilled prophecy. There's not one thing you've got to be looking for. And the danger is that you start looking for that as if you can predict or get close to, oh, I'd never predict the day, but you can get close to, Jesus has got to be coming soon. It's a, dangerous, it's a dangerous thing because the truth of the matter is, verse 14 onward has signs, but they are given during the tribulation, uh, during the tribulation period. But right now, verses 5 to 13 are a list of things that warn against premature expectation and prediction of his coming. Don't be misled about that. Don't be misled about that. I don't know who in this room is actually very into this, but I do want to teach you what I believe is the truth. Now, why? Because some of you, and I would say most of us, I even feel it in me, we're addicted to sniffing the wind. 
and trying to read the tea leaves and trying to figure out this thing. Oh, it's got to be soon. Look what's going on. Look what's happening every time you turn a corner. And we want to try to predict the coming of Jesus. Now, we're careful. We won't predict the exact date or hour because Jesus says you can't do it. But we get, we get really into all the stuff leading up to it. That's why some of you download the earthquake app. Look at all the, look at all the earthquakes that are going on around the world. Oh, my goodness. Look at the ring of fire. Look at all these earthquakes. They're everywhere. They're, there's more and more. Jesus is coming. It's never been like this before. How do you know? They just started an earthquake app just a few years ago. How do you know it went on 2,000 years ago? Let me tell you something. There have been earthquakes and earthquakes and earthquakes since the beginning of time. But yet somehow you want to heighten an earthquake app, and then you want to look and say, it's got to be soon. It's got to be really, I won't predict the date, but it's got to be really, really soon. And, and I'll tell you, that's so dangerous. Don't be misled. You get on YouTube, you get on podcasts, you get on TikTok, urgent prophetic warning, urgent prophetic warning, and they'll tell you stuff that's already been happening in this world since the beginning of sin. I know that's hard to hear, okay? But the truth is, they've been going on in our history since the beginning of sin. But the difference today is they got some new mathematical algorithm to somehow show you it's far worse today than it ever was in time. And I will say this, I wrote this in my notes, so I'm going to say it. I will predict that this will get even worse in the next five to seven years. Now, I won't put an exact date on it because you'd have to crucify me after if I was wrong on the date. But I believe in the next five to seven years, it's going to get far worse in these kind of TikTok moments and prophetic warnings and prophetic things that are going to be given out to people. And that's, you know why? Because in the next five to seven years, we will literally be at the 2000 mark from Jesus' crucifixion, resurrection, and the day of Pentecost. And if you don't think people will play off on that with you, they will. They, they like this 2,000 mark thing, 2,000 years from Jesus Christ. And uh, there are going to be, I believe, massive amounts of people trying to predict the future without saying a date, and it's going to be inevitable, and it's going to get worse. And some of you are going to get sucked up into it, and you're going to waste your time. I see nothing in Scripture that 2,000 years later is the connecting point to the coming of Christ. I see nothing in Scripture that 2,000 years is the connecting point to the coming of Christ. Let me go on record again. Jesus can come back at any moment. There is no signs needed. The rapture can concur, occur at any moment. There's nothing else that has to be fulfilled. Nothing else. But I do believe people will take advantage of your itch to know and figure it out. It's in me. I know it's in you. So, just mark my words here. Years, just a few years before 2029 to 2032, okay, you're going to see all kind of massive weird predictions. Massive weird predictions. Now, he may come back then, okay? All right. He may come back then, but he may come back in 500 years or 1,000 years too. But if he comes back in 2029 and you wrote all the little YouTubes and TikToks about that, don't act like you figured it out, okay? Like somehow you're going to come before the Father and the Father's going to say, I can't believe you figured it out. I didn't even tell my son what the date of my coming was. 
But you, you are something else. You figured it out. You are something. You're going to get a special award. That ain't going to happen, okay? Let me just tell you. So just, just stop. Be careful with this stuff. You're going to get sucked up into this stuff, and it's going to destroy you. You're going to be so off target, and people are not going to say it to you, but they're going to say, he's weird. He's weird, okay? That's what's going to happen. So just be careful of this, uh, because I want you to see this again. Well, the first thing on Jesus' mind is, don't let anybody mislead you. Don't let anybody deceive you, right there in verse 5. Don't be misled. Jesus is saying, keep your radar up about everybody because they're going to try to pull you into this. He says in verse 6, many will come in my name to mislead. This is the first start of it. Now, you probably won't fall for this one, but this will happen to some. There'll be a Jim Jones to come along. There'll be a David Koresh to come along. And the worst thing about him is they'll pretend to be Jesus in his name. Since the first century, this has been going on. Now, don't look it up because I, I know your spirit. You want to, oh, I got to find this out real quick. There is a whole page, a whole website committed to telling you everybody who said they were Jesus or the Messiah since the first century. And you can read that on your own time, not my time, okay? You can read that on your own time and you can see through history how somebody has always professed to be the Messiah or worse yet, Jesus Christ. World Missionary Society of God. This guy today, Hum Sung Ho. I hope I said his name right. It's the fastest growing cult in the world in the Far East. The fastest growing cult. It's scary to think of the growth this has. Latter-day Saints. Since the Latter-day Saints have been going, there's always been somebody who's been a self-proclaimed Messiah or Jesus himself in the Latter-day Saints. Always been. Jehovah Witnesses claim Christ has already come back and is walking among us. Ooh, I want to read more about that. Listen, stay away from it, okay? China, the church of Almighty God, has a female Jesus Messiah. Now, that was a shocker to me, a female Jesus Messiah. That'd be interesting to see, okay? Uh, the Baptist churches in India, the Baptists are getting caught in this. They're pretending to be Jesus. I'm saying pretending. They think they are. There's a cult in Siberia. This guy's got long hair, and he's got long hair like Jesus. By the way, you don't know the length of Jesus' hair, but somehow you think he's got long hair because you've seen the Hollywood Jesus, okay? So this guy wants to look like the Hollywood Jesus because everybody's going to say, oh, he looks just like Jesus. <laughs> That's what Jesus would look like. You know, but let me tell you, his name's Viserion. I just read about him this week. Thousands of people worship him. They live in his commune in Siberia, and one time he's even arrested for doing wrong things to the government. They let him out of prison. He came back, and they were like, they let you out. And he said, yes. They arrested Jesus, and they let him go. It's crazy the way these people think. If, okay, so if someone says they are the Christ, that's how you know they're not. There it is. There it is. That's the Bible. Someone says it, I'm it. You know they're not. Okay, that's what the Bible says. Don't be misled. Don't listen because the Bible said when I come, when Jesus really comes, I will come in the clouds with power and great glory. That's verse 26. The lightning will flash from sky to sky. Listen, when Jesus comes, nobody's going to have to say to you, Jesus has come. This guy's the Messiah. Nobody's going to have to say to you. It's like a bomb going off in your front yard and your neighbor knocking on the door saying, did you know a bomb went off in your front yard? Yes, I did. You know, my hair's all singed and everything else. Yes, I do. You didn't have to tell me. That's how Jesus will come. Now, one person will have to tell somebody else, Jesus has come. 
He will split the sky, lightning from one end to the other, and he will come in great power and great glory. No, need, no one needs to tell you, because that's how he will come. That's the only way he will come, and everyone will see him. You don't need to be warned. Now, these people don't just pretend to be the Messiah. They say, I've come, and I am Jesus in his name. They're scary. They're scary, but that's where it'll win over thousands of people, and they will be successful. Crazy. Don't you be misled on that one. Okay, number two is the most important point. All right, number two is the most important point because this is where I may just have to just really get you to think, and you can, you can take this home and reflect on it yourself, uh, but I just want you to understand this one the most. Recognize the events and things that mean Jesus is not coming. Recognize the events and things that mean Jesus is not coming. Now, what I'm going to say to you is many of you see these things and you say he is coming. But Jesus is telling you in plain Scripture he's not coming when you see these things. Verse 7 and 8. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be frightened. Those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. Verse 8, for nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. This, these two verses have been so misinterpreted and so misused, and I want to take a minute just to help you a little bit here. Jesus said, if you hear of wars and rumors of war, mark it down, I'm not coming. Just mark that right down. If you hear of wars and rumors of war, that's not the end. I'm not coming. That's the first thing. <laughs> that's the opposite of the way many people think. Very opposite. Jesus says, when that happens, I'm not coming. After World War I, you know what we said? People said, and we have writings of preachers and people that said, it's the end. Jesus is coming after World War I. After World War II, Jesus is coming. After Cold War, after the Persian Gulf War, the shock and awe, people said, Jesus is coming. We keep predicting these things and we don't learn from our experience. There will be terrible wars, Jesus said. That's a sign it's not the end. I don't know who's taught you, if they've taught you any different than that, but I'm telling you right now, when you hear about terrible wars, it's a sign that it's not the end. You'll hear of rumors of war. Have you ever heard of rumors with war with China and Russia and the Middle East? That's a sign Jesus is not coming. You mark that down, you learn, because you're going to be misled. You're going to get caught up in this stuff. Jesus said it's a sign. It's not the end. Middle East. That's a huge powder keg. That's a powder keg to everybody who gets on TikTok and YouTube and podcasts. And they love that one because now they're saying, and some of you have written me about this, so here's my answer, okay? You said, hey, listen, Israel just made a peace treaty with the Muslims, and other nations have come in on this peace treaty. And they're saying this is a sign of the end. I say it's a sign it's not the end. And matter of fact, Jesus is not coming because of that. And by the way, you know, in the last 40 years, this is where people don't know history. Okay? 
In the last 40 years, do you know Israel has made four to five peace treaties with the Muslims? And the Muslims and the Israelites have both broken their own treaties. They can't keep treaties with each other. What makes you think this one is any different than the others? I'm telling you, when you hear of these rumors, it's a sign Jesus is not coming. I know you're going to have to be thinking about this. This is going to really get in your head, okay? But I'm telling you, they are not signs that the tribulation is coming, that Jesus and the rapture is occurring. Jesus says when that happens, it means it's not the end. Mm. I've got to be straight with you, okay? Earthquakes, they're everywhere. Big one's coming. Jesus must be coming. That's a sign he's coming. No, it's a sign he's not coming. Verse 7 and 8 are connected. Okay, they're connected. He said... I'm telling you, this is not the end. For nation will rise up against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. People look at that and they say, look, the beginning of birth pangs. These are signs of his coming. I'm saying, no, they're not. Wait a minute, preacher. It says it's the beginning of birth pangs. And if a woman is in labor and she has birth pangs, there's a baby coming soon. That's what you'll tell me, and that's what I've always been taught myself, okay? I'm going to say to you, that's not the end. That's not a sign of Jesus coming. The famines, the earthquakes, the perils, the wars, the rumor wars. First of all, let me say this, and I'll answer that very directly, but let me say this first. Will these horrible things happen in the tribulation? Absolutely. Absolutely. But in the tribulation, they happen in rapid fire, quick succession, and they happen all at once. World War I and World War II are not even close. Pandemic is not even close to what happens in the tribulation. Nothing will be like the tribulation. If it happens in the tribulation, it'll be catastrophic wars, it'll be catastrophic pestilence, it'll be earthquakes, so much so that those three things alone will swallow up one-third of the earth's people. That has never happened in time. It will swallow up one-third of the earth's population in one day. Nothing's close to that. It's catastrophic. I've never known that to happen yet or even yet get close to that happening. I'm saying don't fall for signs. There's not one more needed for the rapture. For the second coming, yes, there's many. But it's only needed for those people going through the tribulation that got to decide, am I going to take the mark of the beast or not? And then there's lots of signs, the abomination of desolation. All those kind of things are signs for the tribulation period, but not for the rapture. So if you're here and you're not saved, I'm not trying to scare you, but go back to the book and say, I know one thing I should never do because I didn't get saved before the rapture. But one thing you should never do is take the mark of the beast. Just remember that, okay? You're going to see these things happen in rapid succession. And one thing you don't want to do is take the mark. I'm not trying to scare you. I, I am not a scare tactic kind of preacher, and I don't want you to do that, but I just want you to know how serious these things are, and I don't see any signs before the rapture occurs. Okay? Having said that then, but what about these birth pangs being a sign? They're a sign. If, if, it's, if there's things happening now that are birth pangs, surely the woman or surely the, 
uh, tribulation is going to happen because it's about to have a baby. And those birth signs are it. Okay, first of all, verse 7 just said to you these things are not signs. Context, okay? They just said to you these things are not signs. Second thing is you assume birth pangs means and interprets a certain way in your culture. That's not how Mark and Paul and Jesus used it. Let me show you one. Romans 8, 22. Romans 8, 22. If you want to turn there in your Bible, I would encourage you to do that. But I, I guess what I'll do is I'll go ahead and put it up on the screen. Put it up on the screen. I want you to see it. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. There's the same word, pains of childbirth, for the beginning of sorrows in Mark 13. They're the same words. They're just translated just a little differently. Now look at that verse carefully and tell me how long those birth pains have been going on. Those birth pains have been going on from the beginning of creation and the fall all the way to now. That woman's in some long labor, my friend. He did not mean that was just a few moments. He did not mean that was three years or 30 years or 50 years. He was saying that's a very, very long period of time since sin in the world with Adam and Eve, it has been going all the way until now, birth pangs of a woman in childbirth. See, he didn't use the phrase to say that means it's going to happen tomorrow. If you, are, if you are a young earth or an old earth position, you are looking at least at 6,000 years ago that the birth pains began. 6,000 years. That's long labor. You can't look at the phrase birth pangs and interpret to say it could be tomorrow, it could be next week. Now, could it be tomorrow or next week? Yes, but it also could be a thousand years. Because the thing the disciples were so stifled by is, why is it taking so long? Jesus said this back 2,000 years ago about the birth pangs. That's 2,000 years at least that we've had childbirth pains waiting for the second com or the tribulation period in the second coming of Christ. I, I hope you're following me with this because I, I think this is very important to understand. What I'm saying is this phrase birth pangs is not a soon prediction. When Jesus, Paul, and Mark say birth pains, he's not talking about what will come soon. It just means that these small disasters are not the actual baby. These are just things that have occurred over thousands of years that will lead to the baby. And it could be 30 years, it could be 300, it could be 3,000 years. And thank God it's been 3,000 years because if the disciples got what they wanted, they wanted a kingdom back in the first century. And if they got a kingdom back in the first century, where would you be? So the delay of Jesus for thousands of years has brought many more into the fold of his eternal plan. And you ought to thank God for that. So, Romans 8.22, birth pains have been going on since the beginning of time. So don't misinterpret this passage, all right? Number three, and I'll close with this. Set your eyes on suffering and witnessing. And that is the hardest thing to do. You'd rather listen to a YouTube. You'd rather listen to TikTok. You'd rather figure out what's going to happen. You'd rather hear all these things. And by the way, I listen to them too. I listen to them. But you don't want to get caught up in them. The idea is to set your eyes on suffering and witnessing. And that's what Jesus says here in verses 9 to 13. He says, be on your guard. 
They'll deliver you to the courts, and you'll be flogged in the synagogues. You'll stand before governors and kings as a testimony to them. The gospel must first be preached to all nations. In other words, that's why he delayed. The birth pangs have been going on for thousands of years to give you an opportunity to get saved. And thank God for that. Thank God for the delay. That's the whole point of it. And so when they arrest you and hand you over, do not worry beforehand about what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but it is the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death, father is child, and children will rise up against their parents and have them put to death. You'll be hated by all because of my name, but the one who endures the end, he will be saved. What's that mean? In their day, it meant they would be flogged and brought to the point of death, but never killed. They would get right up to the point of death because they didn't have the power of killing someone as a Jew. Only the Roman courts did. And so they would bring you right to the point of death and flog you with a cat of nine tails and leave you with just a few breaths left so they didn't kill you. Why are they going to do that? Jesus said, I did it for a plan. There's going to be people today that are in China and Pakistan and India that are going to be persecuted. And they're going to have a chance when they stand up for Christ and they get persecuted. They're going to be drugged into the courts. They're going to be drugged before the police. They're going to be drugged before judges. And when they do, that's an opportunity for that policeman, for that judge, for that official who would never have heard the gospel unless someone stood up for Christ and was drugged into the courts and they get a chance. I don't think it's going to get better for them. It could get worse because they're going to tell them the truth and they're going to stand up as a testimony to Jesus Christ and they're going to say, this is why. I opened up a coffee shop in China. This is why I was at the underground church. This is why I went to Pakistan. to bring Bibles. And so ultimately what God is saying is you're going to have a powerful chance to stand before powerful leaders that you never would have stood before unless this happened to you. So represent me and represent me well. And your, your family will betray you when you do this. They'll turn you over to the officials because of your following in Jesus Christ. But you keep the gospel front and center just like Paul did when he went before officials and it's worth dying for. And then when you get in there, don't you worry about what you got to say. The Holy Spirit will so control you, you'll say exactly what you need to do that will reflect the Bible. And you'll stand up for Christ. Now, Jesus said, when you see all these things, these wars, it gets colder and colder. Whoa, it's getting so cold. It must be Jesus coming. Oh, it's getting hotter and hotter. Jesus must be coming. And you see hurricanes and you see earthquakes. Don't get so caught in that, you get off track with your life. You get off track because you're getting misled. You're going to end up studying all these things and you're going to figure out nothing. And Jesus said, they don't tell you I'm coming. They tell you I'm not coming. And I'm telling you, Christ can come at any time. Don't misuse his statements. You don't need to be filled with fear. You don't need to be obsessed about these things. Because anything happening today isn't even close to what's going to happen in the tribulation. Look at verse 19. I want you to see this. I'm about to close. For those days will be a time of tribulation such as not occurred since the beginning of the creation which God created until now and never will. That's an amazing statement. There's going to be things that happen in the tribulation period that have never happened since the beginning of creation. Not in the destruction of the temple. Not any of that. None of that happened. And not only 
what happens in the tribulation didn't happen in the past till now, but it'll never happen again in the future. It's an incredible statement in time. The tribulation will be an epic time. And anything you're seeing now, crazy fires, crazy earthquakes, crazy tsunamis, pandemics, it's really weird. Okay, it's weird, I'll say that. But it doesn't touch the end times. It doesn't touch it. So I don't know if the tribulation is in five years or 50 years, and neither do you, and neither do the podcast guys. Okay? Don't let them put fear in you. That's what they're going to do in the end, and they're going to mislead you. The issue for you is, are you ready to face persecution? Are you willing to suffer and witness? You see, you get, everything in life pulls you away from that. Everything in life is pulling you away from being a witness or suffering because you somehow want to, you just let yourself get so caught up. And, and so I want to just say to you, are you ready to face it? You're not going to face it like they face it in China and Pakistan. They got hard persecution. We're going to have soft persecution. And this is my take for you. My take is this. Are you willing to stand and be misunderstood, disliked? I feel like that's one of the reasons people don't share their faith from this church. Because it's tough today to be open about being a Christian. It's tougher than it's ever been. I believe that with all my heart. The culture is slowly whittling away at our commitment because we sense people don't approve of us anymore. People don't approve of us anymore. That is nothing new in history. It is only new in the United States. It's nothing new in history, but it's the only new in the United States history. That's why you're looking at this and you're trying to figure out for yourself, how much should I really stand up about this stuff? How much should I really represent what God says in his word? And I'm telling you, you need to be ready for people who will disapprove of you. They are wired to do that. Okay, they are wired. They're wired by Satan because he's the prince and the power of the air, and they're wired by the world. And the world is trying to target Christians today like they never have before. And so they're slowly targeting Christian and Christian beliefs, and they want to attach words to you like bigot. You're a bigot. That's what they want to try to do. So whatever you believe, what they want to do is they want to attack that so that you almost don't want to say anything in culture anywhere. And that's what I'm concerned about, is just a willingness to suffer and to witness, suffer and to witness. I know I'm doing it in my life, okay? I know I'm doing it on my street. So I want you to do it. I can do it. You can do it. It's tough. It's scary. Yes, I get it. I've had a conversation with a homosexual on my street. Totally disagree. Totally disagree. I get emails when I preach here. Everybody's not my friend who comes here. I realize that. And I get attacked. And I get said things that are very cruel. And I've got to deal with those things at so many, so many different levels. But I believe that's what I'm supposed to do. I believe it's my calling. It'll happen to you and it'll happen to me. So here's what I want to say to you as I close, okay? Don't get mad. Don't get defensive. Don't point the finger and say, you're persecuting me. Don't you do that. Jesus says, just love them. Love them. Bless them that persecute them, he says. Bless them that persecute you. Pray for them that despitefully use you. You just, you just do that. React in love. React in love to those who dislike you or write hateful comments about you or email you. Why? 
because I believe with all my heart it's our time to shine. This is our chance to do exactly what Jesus did on the cross. Okay? While they're persecuting, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's your spirit. That's the spirit that's got to be in you. Not, not woe is me, look at how I'm suffering as a Christian. No, no. Just be like Jesus Christ and then be like Stephen who watched Jesus Christ and then Stephen said, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing to me when they martyred him. He, he took his cue from Jesus. And that cue so affected him, it affected the Apostle Paul. And every time Apostle Paul told his story, he always went back to Stephen and said, I'm the one who laid down the garment and said, kill the guy. But he died with such love for me. Paul couldn't get out of that. Paul couldn't get past that. And that was one of the first indicators of conviction in his heart that he knew what he was doing was wrong. And it's, it's just a beautiful thing when you respond with no malice. You, you can't agree with them. You can't hold their view. You can't do the things I've told you before about that. But you can do it with love. And you can do it without malice. I'm telling you, you're sending daggers into their heart. And they don't know it. And their response of bigot is just a cover-up for what they're feeling and sensing in their own spirit. So you respond with no malice. Respond with love and care. Whether you're dealing with angry people which we're dealing with very angry people today. Immoral people, disobedient people, transgender people, homosexual people. Let's take our chance to shine. This is it. This is our time. It's a time to shine. Let's pray.